0: right in your face welcome back to the fadeaway podcast offseason edition baby i don't even know what episode this is i lost count i think it's number seven maybe so. six but we got a freaking special guest in the building today i'm too hyped can't hold it down Zay, do you wanna you wanna tell me actually before we get into that why don't you tell me how you are man how's how's your weekend how's everything going
1: I'm doing well. Everything's died down from the transaction week, the busy, busy week we had, going through all the moves, going through all the trades, the signings. You know, things are still trickling down and happening. Um, but just looking forward to the season and looking forward to you know the rest of the interviews that we have uh, lined up. You know, for for for, for everybody. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's been good. Obviously, uh, being on lockdown isn't the best. Um, but I think definitely we not we've, the best. We've made the most of it by going elsewhere (laughs) yeah absolutely
0: absolutely and this is our first i think official week with belly up sports i think last week was our first episode but we did release that this week so shout out to belly up once again uh but let's talk a little bit about our our next guest so let's preface off by asking if you're a listener have you heard the whistleblower podcast before if you're nodding your head you're in for a, a crazy surprise so if you remember, we had Sean uh, a few weeks ago who was featured on the the whistleblower. whistleblower podcast, but we wanted to
1: take it a step further. So Zaid, take it over. Take so it home, as you know. You know. Tim is the name of the referee in question in the Whistleblower podcast, but Tim is also the name of the creator of the podcast and who narrates and hosts the podcast all throughout. Tim Livingston. Yes, that's right. We have Tim Livingston on with us today. You know, we had a really, really interesting conversation. You know, we, you know, obviously we're, we're big fans of the podcast and we really enjoyed listening to. Um, I believe the, the ten part podcast series that it was, um, but we you know we asked him you know a few things. We asked him um, about his relationships with certain NBA players that he's got. Um, you know certain findings that he found throughout his his journey in investigating, creating this podcast, you know, and he provided us with a lot of information that was, was dope to hear, you know, some information that, you know, may have been stuff that didn't really surface on the actual podcast. Yeah. Um, And it was just a great conversation. He's, you know, very down to earth. He was, you know, he was so good to us and, you know, it was so welcoming of our questions and and it it was, it was really dope to to sit and talk with him. And and we won't ruin the surprise, but he did, um, he did say he's going to help
0: us do something that's pretty exciting. So if, if he helps us with that, man, Woo! That would really, I think, help us a lot. So, without further ado, I think we should get into this discussion with the one and only Tim Livingston. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Livingston. Tim, how are you, sir?
2: I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me.
0: Oh, man, it's our pleasure. Uh, Like we said in the intro, we're such big fans and we're happy that we're doing this, so... Uh, we appreciate your time tonight, man. Thanks a lot.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. And kind of disappointed that the Raptors won the second-to-last championship <laughs> or else we could really dive into some Raptors playoff games from, like, the late 90s. Well, uh,
0: we we can probably do that up until 2018, 2019 yeah. at that point. It's, uh, it's funny because we always talk about that, man, like the perspective of, like, the investigation that you put together. It's almost like it's one of those things where everyone sort of had an idea, and you feel it sometimes when you're watching games you're like dude like this doesn't feel right but then you know obviously no one actually goes above and beyond the, the way that you did but uh, it's it's funny you bring that up cuz we always talk about that we
1: always talk about like inherently in our minds and in how we however like we comment on the games especially as raptors fans we're always like man We always get shafted with the calls. We always get screwed over by the refs because, you know, Canadian team, not American. Nobody wants to see us in the finals or further along into the playoffs. So, you know, when you came out with this podcast, you know, essentially breaking down, you know, the whole scandal and the investigation, which we'll get into later on. It was so interesting to hear someone else's perspective and especially someone with, you know, obviously you're, you're speaking as a fan, but you're also speaking as someone who actually investigated and did some real journalism into the scandal so you know let's just start with you know you know what really inspired you to get into the story and to get into you know really figuring out what happened with this investigation and what really happened with the scandal
2: i think it's the same thing that you guys are alluding to it's as a fan i watched basketball games nba games on the biggest stage that i thought were refereed so atrociously that there had to be something deeper there Right, it's it's not, you know. I think we interviewed this guy, Carmichael Dave, in Whistleblower, who's a Sacramento Kings um, radio personality, and he said it best. These games, the the really controversial games were officiate. It's not just one bad call, right? It's not just you know, was he safe at first base or was he out? Um, was it fair? Was it foul? These games were call after call after call after call that it really, for a basketball fan, it made you sick to your stomach. And it started in 2002, I think, for me in high school as a Lakers fan. Um, and watching the Lakers beat the Kings and just and feeling bad about it. <laughs> feeling, like, feeling like they're a the clear victim in this game. Yeah. And it makes you sick to your stomach. So I, I this podcast really was, for all the basketball fans, whose favorite team who gave their – so much, and again, we can we can do another podcast on why and how we're so irrational as fans, and, and how silly it is to to root for as Jerry Seinfeld says, a bunch of jerseys. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's it's what we do, and it's the most important one of the most important things in my life, and I'm sure it's the same with you guys. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's just it's it's look, I, I with all my friends who are really into politics, I'll take sports all day over that corrupt realm, but. <laughs> This is – it really starts off from being a fan and wanting to know if there was something here because we've all been labeled conspiracy theorists, those of us who had the audacity to suggest that there was something going on. Yeah. And I think that's where it stemmed from.
0: You're absolutely right, Tim, and I I just want to mention one thing that you – you talked about this on the podcast. I'm not even sure which episode exactly it was, but you made an analogy where it was like telling a sports fan that the league is fixed or rigged in any way. Is almost like telling a child that Santa Claus is real, and that was that was one of the most profound things because it's so true. You know, it's it's like wow, like you know, as an adult, you think, "Well, who is this ridiculous kid that thinks you know Santa Claus is real?" But now we're all these adults who have this hard time believing that you know the league would operate as a business and do whatever is in the best interest of the business because of our love for the sport. It's almost naive in a sense. So I, you're totally right about that. Um I want to ask you Tim when you started investigating this cuz this was an 8 year long investigation. Um were you with a network when you had started investigating? Were you sitting at home and this idea came about like what what was the you know the the beginning process like and if you were with a network did they give you any backlash with regards to the idea of going after such a big you know organization like the NBA?
2: That's a great question. So The Donahue article that started this whole thing off was only the second article that I ever got published. And I was writing for – this all started back in 2012. Um, I was a couple years out of college, and I was at a bar with this guy. I was explaining to him – and I don't want to get too far off topic. I'll bring it back to Donahue and and the scandal, but um, I'm just a sports nerd in general. Mm -hmm. So I was explaining to him the archaic nature of NFL fourth down strategy. And how football coaches, because they all are focused on not getting fired, mm-hmm. um, mistake basic math. And this was 2012. It's gotten better since then. I mean, long story short, in American football, you should go for it on fourth and short on your side of the field every single time. Yeah. yeah. And so I started – that was like – I wrote this article about Chip Kelly who at the time embodied what I was talking about. And the article did really well. And it was the first thing I ever got published, and I had an editor at the post game, which was at the time a part of Yahoo, but wasn't directly affiliated with Yahoo, and that's important. Um, or they they were, but they weren't it wasn't Yahoo, right? It was Yahoo's like main sports blog. okay. and okay. and so he basically said, "Hey, this did really well. you know, write whatever you want." And I wrote about the catalyst for the article was Tim Donahue. there was this minor, minor, minor news story about Tim Donahue attending his first NBA game since he was a ref. It was five years after he'd refereed his last game. I believe it was a Mavericks game because him and Cuban on the low are homies. And, and, you know, he attended a game. And so I wrote the the piece and my editor was like, nah, this isn't really relevant. Um, And he made me go back and write it and, and add something current and conveniently. This is when David Stern was just a complete oligarch. And this was, I don't know if you guys remember this, in 2012, the Spurs, they rested. It was either a back-to-back or a Mm back-to-back-to-back. It was a primetime game against the Heat, and they rested Duncan, Ginobili, and Parker. Yeah, I believe all three, definitely two of the three. And Stern fined the organization $500,000. Right, But the game was fantastic. Didn't they win?
0: Didn't the Spurs win that game, or it was a super close one?
2: Yeah, exactly. They lost by, like, two points. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it was, a, it was it was a fantastic game. Like prime pop game. Gary
0: Neal, Danny Green days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it
2: was like Matt Bonner was balling out. Was, <laughs> like, the Red Rocket. It was it was a crazy, but you know the it was Stern just again at the at the height of his powers. And I wrote an article basically that was the start. And then I wrote about Donahue, and he somehow Donahue somebody sent it to Tim Donahue, and then Tim Donahue reached out to me, and, and that's where this whole thing started. But I wasn't affiliated with with any. I wasn't writing for ESPN. I wasn't writing, you know, Bleacher Report. I believe was still independent in 2012. But mm-hmm. I was writing for, and that's that's kind of why this thing is so interesting, right? I had no editor that was going to completely um, quench any Donahue article. Uh, you know, most I, I believe at ESPN at that point they would have been like, hell no, doesn't matter what you tied into. Of course. Um, that we're not publishing this. So I was lucky enough to be an independent journalist writing for a publication that didn't have any ties with the NBA. And that's kind of, that was a blessing because I don't think at the time any of the big websites, which are all big networks, CBS, NBC, ESPN at all, would have published this.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, the big guys like the ESPNs and and, and even the Fox Sports, they've all got deals with the NBA. So they obviously don't want to publish anything that is going to, you know, you know, not, you know, obviously hurt their product, hurt, the, hurt their brand, hurt their product, hurt um, their viewership, especially. Um, but like we mentioned before, this was a very long, you know, this podcast was, you know, in the making for a really long time. I believe you said it was around eight years. Um, I want to know, you know, before we dive into any specifics of the podcast, you know, what was your ultimate goal of the podcast? And did that goal change as you made it? You know, did do you, you know, are you looking for, you know, a statement from the NBA? Are you looking for, you know, and maybe in extreme measures, uh, uh, you know, the the case to be revisited? Or are you just looking to educate the fans? You know, what, what was your ultimate goal in creating this podcast? And, you know, how has it changed if it did change along the way?
2: So my ultimate goal is just to find the truth. Um, that's what drove me this entire time. That's why when this thing fell apart. For numerous, usually business-related reasons, over the years, um, I just kept on, kept on, kept keeping on. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the fact that the NBA hasn't made a statement is really interesting. Very interesting. You know, we've reached a point where I I know that they have heard this. I mean, everybody, um, you know, ESPN, Patrick, The Ringer, um, Barstool. This is all every. This is on a lot of people's radars. But it, for whatever reason, the NBA hasn't been compelled to make a statement or answer any questions that we've posed or that anyone else behind the scenes has posed. So I think what's interesting about podcasting in general and, and what we did is that doesn't really mean that in three years something could happen that's so egregious with Scott Foster that a reporter could ask Adam Silver this and, uh, or ask Adam Silver something that we exposed about Foster, for example. and. And have this come to light mm-hmm. in a meaningful way. There's there's a real long tail to what we did, uh, but I have and this is something that I've, I've said repeatedly. I'm, I'm sitting here just wondering if and when the NBA will have to address it because that, yeah. it, I, I just there's so many questions that they need to answer and and Mark Cuban too. But I, again, I like Mark. <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> I don't expect him. I understand it's so readily apparent why. He doesn't want to answer the questions. And I respect Mark because he wanted the same thing I wanted—the truth. It's the only, the only, you know, the key thing there is that he had billions of dollars at stake. Yeah, and yeah. I, exactly. I, I, had zero. Yeah. So <laughs> I, ultimately, I just wanted—I wanted the truth to come out. And as a, as a basketball fan, and really just as a, as a human being on Earth, I really have tried to view things not just in sports, but in in politics and in all other realms. You got to – There's always, especially like. In fact, we talk on Twitter, right? I mean there's always – every Twitter story that pops up, every story that pops up, especially today in 2020, there's so many layers, right? Right. So who's making money off what? Who's connected to who? And that's what this story is ultimately about. It's a story about corporate corruption. And this goes up you know, as we expose in Level 9, and and we didn't drop those names because I just – the names aren't important, Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to get sued, frankly. But (laughs) – it's these are really, really powerful political figures, political lawyers. And and these are the, the shadows, the shadowy figures behind the scenes who are running the world. That is, this is a basketball scandal. Nobody got killed. But these are the people that we entrust to uphold integrity and uphold justice in our political system, in our in our lives. So it's It's a big problem that we're dealing with societally in in all societies, and I hope that enough people listen to this to where we can it, that it just opens some eyes as to how the world really really works right it's a basketball game is such a such a beautiful thing, and the fact that that my 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 one of my favorite things the the beauty that is a basketball game got fucked up so royally throughout all this i think is, was the catalyst for, for wanting to find the truth. And as I kept digging, the truth just kept it, you know, layer after layer after layer, it just got crazier and crazier and crazier.
1: Absolutely. And I just wanted to actually follow up on one thing that you had kind of mentioned that you said, you know, there's no uh, telling what's going to happen in the future. You know, this podcast is out, you know, who knows when, you know, this podcast may sur- resurface three years down the road when something happens and people come back to this podcast and, then those questions are asked to the MBA or to the or or asked by the media. Now, do you feel that, you know, there is any sort of I I want to say maybe higher power that is trying to, you know, put your podcast, you know, on on kind of a hush, you know, and, and not, you know, allow it to explode? Have you felt any sort of, you know, energy like that?
2: You know, when we first launched it, before episode one came out, we had like 200 negative reviews on Apple Podcasts, and that was—we'll just say that was highly suspicious. Yeah, I, I haven't really, and I, and again, I was—it's not like I wasn't expecting this. I think if David Stern was alive, there would probably be um, some suburban's parked outside of my. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would. I think you know that guy was a lot. Again, Adam Silver this is what's so interesting. The NBA today is in a much better place. Adam Silver is an empathetic, rational human being, a, a really solid leader and somebody who I think would listen to this. And, and look, he was there. He knows yeah. that there's a lot of truth to what we're saying. So man, I, I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't think there's been anything yet that has, you know, that I've, that I think is really nefarious. There's, yeah. there's nothing that, and again, I was expecting, I wasn't expect. I wasn't hoping for it um, by any means, but I was, ex- I was expecting there to potentially be a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. So not yet. Um, but, you know, part of me m- might want that to happen because that means it's really, the podcast really blew up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the NBA, the NBA is, is really angry. So, you know, we'll see. It's, it's still early. Um, we've, we published our last episode a month ago Right. and it feels, you know, with how much time i put into the podcast it feels like t- yeah, 10 years of my life and it feels like that last episode was a year and a half ago yeah, but yeah i feel the yeah, same way man i miss it
0: <laughs> i'm like waking up every thursday like what's going on <laughs> what's <laughs> happening um prior to meeting tim donahue do you remember at all what your opinion of the whole situation was because and and you know this tim like there's two sides to the story there's the side of the people that are investigating tim personally saying it was you know it was a tim issue and then you have the other people saying you know this is kind of a a scapegoat issue where it's systemic but they just wanted to you know quiet down the media quiet down the people so they threw this guy in the fire and that was that um do you remember prior to any prior to having a discussion with him just based on the article that you wrote do you remember how you felt about the whole situation And would you say you still feel that same way or has meeting him, working with him, meeting even Tommy Martino and the whole gang, like, did that change your opinion at all of how everything went down?
2: I always thought he was the scapegoat. I still do. And I put it into two categories. I think there's the scandal and the scandal is what Tim Donahue was doing personally on the court, behind the scenes. How much money did Donahue make? Who was he working with? Was Scott Foster involved? That's the scandal. Mm-hmm. And the conspiracy is, what was the NBA doing? What did the NBA do over the entirety of the of the David Stern era? What were they doing behind the scenes to make this scandal go away? So when I started, the conspiracy was far more interesting to me. And now, eight years later, it still is. But when this all broke, and as I really started reading more and more about it, and read Tim Donahue's book a little a year or two after the, the scandal broke and he got out of jail, I, I believed a lot of what he was saying. So I was always coming from – again, it's it's one of those things. As a fan, as we talked about, you watch some of these games and you know something is wrong, right? Yeah. And you just – you wish you had something that could prove it. As I started getting to know Donahue and I started talking to you know former NBA players, my network and coaches and, and all the people you heard on the podcast, it, it just became – more and more evident that there was something here. So I think I always came even before I met Donahue, I felt like there was a conspiracy. I felt like these games were being officiated so poorly that something had had to be awry. Yeah. And and that's really where this all all came from.
1: Let's talk about Tim Donahue as a person and, you know, his personality and his character. Uh, there's a lot of times in the podcast where you know we we saw you know Tim Donahue kind of you know in raw form and then we also see Tim Donahue kind of in in you know rehearsed you know he always speaks about scala he always speaks about certain things he claims certain claims um like i think like how much he made over the the the, the lifespan of 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 the scandal can you just kind of you know go into a bit more detail about you know his personality his true character um he seemed to be comfortable giving you and providing you with a lot of information during the podcast. Um, And, you know, obviously he's lost some friends over this whole scandal as well. So, you know, was he always, you know, calm and collected during the recordings of the podcast or, or, you know, was he always in, you know, rehearse kind of rehearsal mode? I got to say, this is this, this and that to protect my story. Or did he have uh, another side of him that maybe we didn't see on the podcast?
2: So, Tim Donahue's fascinating. He, when the, so most of the interviews we did, we had a camera. It wasn't just a microphone. So, we were getting the video as well as the audio. And when a camera is in front of Tim Donahue, he is a completely different person <laughs> than Tim Donahue just shooting the shit, drinking beers. That scene that we, you know, where he kicks down the stall door when Tommy's taking a shit, I believe that was episode three. Yeah, yeah. In that in that whole that whole night, right, with Tim Donahue telling stories, drinking Michelob on ice, drinking Michelob Lights on ice, which is still the most bizarre yeah. thing. That that <laughs> I had to mention that because that's one of those things that just summarizes him as a character so yeah, well. Absolutely, he's just a really vulgar, crass human being, which is fine because I again, if, if he if that was what he, I, we really irks me and a lot of athletes that we watch on tv fit this mold right where they are that they're really they're one way they're they're really silly or and funny or they're whatever they're they're one way and then they get on camera and they're completely different yeah yeah uh, we've all you know there's several examples uh, like jerry west big oh, baby wow, davis wow, yeah. two guys that you never like jerry west is is funny and he's super crass and he's like He's just really vulgar and then he gets on. <laughs> that's amazing. Then you start interviewing him and he's, you know, this uh, polite 82 year old man. That's not so who he is. grandpa. Ever. <laughs> yeah, he's an 82 year old West Virginian, you know, grew up dirt poor and is just an absolute, he's, he's a really interesting character, but that's, that's so common in general. So with Tim, I guess I don't mind him being that. I don't mind him having a Jekyll and Hyde thing. The problem is, as we get to, is when you lie, right? And when you think you – I think Tim believes that he's the smartest guy in the room and he's told these lies so many times and never gotten challenged that when we called him out on these things, he got really angry. So Donahue, if we were all in Toronto tonight and went out in the town and had some Michelob lights on (laughs) ice with Tim Donahue, (laughs) look, he's going to get drunk. He's going to tell these stories, guys. I mean – the stories that we couldn't tell on the podcast, the off-the-record stories about the referees and what pills they were doing, and who's an alcoholic and who got a DUI and fled the scene, and you know, wow, it's fascinating, right? And and who was obsessed with which player and gave him all the calls and did, you know, like those stories are endless. He's
0: just an open book.
2: Yeah, he he'll, he'll tell you everything. Which yeah. again, there's a lot of stories that we don't want to tell either because they're going to ruin these other referees lives and and we can't bet them to know that they're they're true. Right. But it's, it's pretty evident as I think you guys would agree that the culture of NBA refereeing was such a show and there was absolutely no policing the police and it got really gnarly and I'm, I'm getting off topic uh, because the the moral of the story is that that Tim is a really interesting guy. He's got a Jekyll and Hyde thing going on. Um, He's a lot of fun to hang out with if you're having a few beers for sure. But uh, I, I really I really hope that he I, I just like when people are genuine and Tim, uh, unfortunately, his public persona is still pretty disingenuous. Yeah.
0: And that's that's interesting because it, it, I find it kind of ironic because at the end of the day, NBA referees, these guys are just all a bunch of, you know, they they like the camera. A lot of them like being in front of the camera. Like A lot of them like the limelight, like prime time. Um, you know, Scott Foster, a guy you talked about on your on your podcast, that guy loves the cameras. I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt if he had cameras up in his house just so he could be in front of cameras all the time. You know, he's he's just that guy. He's very theatrical. So it's kind of ironic that you say he's a completely different person in front of the camera, given all you know what we're talking about here. Um, But, Tim, journalistically, when you start investigating a story like this and this is something that I um, I was talking about over Twitter as well, but. How do you get in touch with these people, man? Because like you weren't, like you said, you weren't affiliated with ESPN. You weren't affiliated with, you know, any any real real big name media member. Uh, yeah, Tim got in touch with you, but you had, like, you had Sheed on your podcast, man. Blonzy Wells. You know what I mean? Like these guys aren't aren't these guys aren't scrubs (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) like how do you get these guys like and this is kind of a question selfishly asked because we want to know because this is what we want to do we want to be able to you know lure people in and have these great conversations so share with us your secrets man how do you how do you get in touch with these folks and get them to sit in front of you
2: so it all started I, i got into the nba circles about five years ago, um, through a mutual friend and I was doing my own. So after the post game, after writing for them for a year or two, I started my own company. It was called The Lead and The Lead was a sports newsletter that I wrote every morning for three years and we built up a decent following. Um, I sold it to sold it. I always say this guys, like, you know, you hear, Oh, I sold it to and you think I made money. Let me be clear. I did not make any, any real money off of this acquisition. <laughs> But I sold it to the Churning Group, who owns, you know, Barstool and Action Network and um, all those companies. So I, I built, I kind of just did my own thing, um, invested my own time and money into starting my own company. And in the course of doing that, I made a lot of connections. A lot of people started reading my my stuff. So I, you know, before I got into podcasting, I'm a, I'm a lowly writer. So there was a lot of hustle. I mean, every every night for years writing this newsletter. Um, I don't think, I think they're all washed from the internet at this point, but I put my heart and soul into that thing to build up this following and and build up this network. And so as part of that, um, I asked my friend to introduce me to Gilbert arenas. So I lived up until earlier this month, I moved out of LA. Um, I'm in an undisclosed location (laughs) in case the NBA tries to come after me. Um, But I had, my daughter was born in March, and uh, LA, as you guys know, is a very expensive city. I, I'm born and raised in LA. My wife's from the southeast, so uh, we moved right after the podcast wrapped, and we're we're actually house hunting right now um, in the southeast. I'll, wow. I'll give
0: congratulations, man! A lot yeah, of big moves for the absolutely. family.
2: Yeah, man, we're we're lots of big moves. She yeah. was like, really, you're gonna produce this podcast? We're gonna move ten days after. I'm like, 2020. Fuck it, let's just. <laughs> let's go. So I, I got a, a lunch with Gilbert Arenas, and this is when he was incredibly reclusive. He had had that really, really bad WNBA post. He had just done, done the thing with Nick Young's son, basically torturing Nick Young's oh, son. Oh, yeah, I remember
0: there. that. What, he yeah. made him cry all over the house? Yeah, so yeah. Gilbert
2: had been had totally disappeared. But I thought this guy was really interesting because I he was completely uncensored and was a – Obviously, an incredible basketball player, oh, yeah. and I just wanted—I just wanted to meet the guy. And long story short, we sat down for lunch. He was like two hours late. I had a couple—couple couple drinks. I'm not—I'm not a big drinker, too. All these stories with Donahue and Gilbert involve alcohol. <laughs> but he—I looked him in the eye, and I was like, "You're really interesting. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Why haven't you branded yourself this way? Why blah blah blah?" And we formed a, a relationship over the the next couple months. And he just started Gilbert Arenas just started calling me every day. Oh, and I was sick. like I was like I was like Gilbert, do you want to start a production company? This is what we should do you know this should be our strategy. Uh, you know I have a, I set up a show at complex through some connections there and we launched that started a production company. When that fell through um, we started the no- Chill podcast and you know Gilbert didn't know what a podcast was. I was like I, obviously I had been into podcasts for a while. I was like look, you just I put a microphone in front of you and you are just gonna talk.
1: Legit, <laughs> yeah.
2: And I was gonna I was gonna co host that and because I was still working at the Action Network, is this is after the lead my startup got acquired. So long story short, Gilbert Arenas kind of gave me that street cred. And I also did this project with Nate Robinson that you can check out. Do you guys remember when Nate Robinson was gonna play football before he got knocked out this weekend? Do you guys
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs>
2: So Nate, Nate Robinson was supposed to, five years ago, play football, and that was my idea. So we did a video, and we launched it and went viral, and so I got to work with Nate, too. And so I was working with Nate and Gil. And again, by the way, Nate, we had a, a sh- like an HBO show ready to go wow. where, where Nate was going to try an, an NFL comeback. And then he – for a lot of reasons, it fell through. And to see him get knocked out by Jake Paul, I'm just like, dang. And I, I, Nate's a good guy, but he – um, isn't as far-sighted as as I'd like him to be. So I started working with those two guys, and I got some street cred. Rasheed and Bonzi, it, like to get them on Whistleblower, I mean Rasheed, talk about a, a tough guy to get a hold of, right? Mm-hmm. So I basically was like, look, I, I produce basketball podcasts. You guys are really talented. Let me help you with yours if you come on mine. And that's how I got them on Whistleblower, and I'm still in the process of, of really trying to help them with theirs because – I mean, this will like those guys. Rasheed doesn't have any social following, but I mean, those are two big name basketball players, and they're they've been doing their podcast for almost the entire year and are still, you know, just trying to trying to figure out find their groove and and break through. So I have um, this very interesting network of controversial ex basketball players from like mid 2000s. That's
0: amazing, man. Um,
2: yeah, so I, I I produce a bunch. At this point, I'm producing several several different things with uh, all basketball and I I mean basketball is my favorite sport, but I'm a, you know, I I played college, but I was a baseball player for most of my life and and, I'm kind of just like a sports nerd in general. So it's, it's interesting. I found this niche producing basketball podcasts. Um, but that being said, whistleblower was my baby. That was the one where I was like, if, if I'm not going to host anything until I do this Mm -hmm. because this is, this is, like I wanted to hit a home run. I wanted do, I wanted to do something big, and so I kind of saved, you know, kept all the bullets in the holster. That's not that's not a holster. It's a mag. Man, I'm not a big gun guy. Yeah. You guys can in the chamber, and and waited into whistleblower. But that's kind of how I, I formed this network and, and got to know all these guys. And um, thankfully, I do. I mean, Gilbert told a story. The best story about Tim Donahue we couldn't use. Gilbert wouldn't let us use it. Ah. So I'll, I'll leave. I'll tantalize you with that. <laughs> um because he he didn't want to snitch. Steven Jackson didn't want to snitch. Those are guys that have a lot to say and um and we couldn't get. So there's still that sentiment, right? There's still that um you know a lot of these guys don't want to snitch. Like snitches obviously culturally um that's a big thing yeah. in yeah. the black community. Like these guys like yeah, Donahue like he Gilbert recalled a game in which he knew Donahue was cheating and fixing wow. it and wouldn't let us use that um, same with Steven so I, I respect that and thank God Rashid and Bonzi were willing to talk on the record about all of it because I mean it was tough to get
1: so it's actually it's actually funny you list all those names you listed Stack Gilbert Nate Sheed Bonzi you just Tim. get us one bro not even that Tim I think <laughs> I think you've got to type Tim
2: it's all the yeah. controversial guys, eh? <laughs> all the controversial guys. That's the, the only guys that are really interesting because that it all goes back to, you know, your, the earlier question about Donahue. you know, Gil arenas is nuts, but at least he's Gilbert, at least he's himself, right? Yeah. yeah. He's just, he's going to put it all out there and, and you might, you might see, he says things. And again, I'm his business partner. He says things that I'm like, Gil, I text him. I mean, I've made him take down a cup, not made him. I can't make Gil do anything. He's way too, way too rich. I was actually, <laughs> before I left LA, I was like, yo. You know, Gilbert. Can I just get like one one point two? Can you just get just transfer? Let me get one point two million. I'll. Say. <laughs> um, he he politely declined. But you know, he he is who he is. I really, I definitely am attracted to these guys who are just going to put it out there and mm-hmm. not. And again, these are there's a reason why all the smoke has done so well. I mean, Matt Matt Barnes is another guy who I wish could have come on, but you know, those guys. Um, there's also they have a Showtime deal, so there's also like yeah. some some stuff there. Which again, this all goes back to the the Vested question, of, exactly. Yeah, right. All yeah. these all these all these companies are all it's like they're all intertwined. Yeah, um, so much that it's it's hard to break through that.
1: So I love that you mentioned you know kind of having trouble getting people coming on. You know, obviously you got that whole essentially st- you know snitches get stitches culture that really worked against you in getting certain players to come on and, and, and speak about, you know, certain experiences they've had. Um, maybe as, uh, maybe aside from players, are, is there anyone else or any other, you know, I, I, you know, any other people who play significant roles, you know, whether it's in the NBA or in journalism or in the media that you had trouble getting on and that, You know, and and why were there reasons? Was it that similar, you know, you know, stitches get stitches or were they also scared about the NBA coming after them? Like how was, you know, what challenges did you face getting people to come on and comment on this issue?
2: It's a great question. And what's sad is that the podcast could have been, we could have told stories that would have like, again, the Gilbert story and, and a handful of others that would have blown it, I, we we were thankful I'm thankful and we were fortunate enough to get so much good stuff so I don't want to come off like I'm not incredibly thankful for all the people that talked on the record and and gave us what they gave us but we could have got we there was there's a lot there's a lot more out there right Yeah. that's why this podcast really is just the tip of the iceberg there's a lot more but an example is there was a writer for sports illustrated who was going to write about the 2006 western conference or excuse me He's going to write about the 2002 Western Conference Finals uh, for Sports Illustrated back in 2012, t- around around mine I think 2012. No, I think it was 2014. Excuse me. Okay. So,
0: okay.
2: So 2014, and again the date doesn't matter. It was, it was it was somewhere in there. Writer for Sports Illustrated, he got Dick Pavetta, he wow. got Bob Delaney, and he got um, Ted Bernhardt, the three referees from that game. He got Tim Donahue, and Donahue obviously said what he said in ours, what he's been saying for years, which is Dick Pavetta was renowned in NBA circles as the NBA's fixer. He was the guy who was always assigned to the game six or game seven yeah. where the NBA wanted to procure a certain result. It's it is insane. Every box score that has Dick Pavetta that's a game six or a game seven will blow your mind. They're yeah. all they're all the same. They're all there's a huge free throw discrepancy and there's you know, blatant, there's a lot of things wrong, just the numbers. So anyway, um, this writer wrote a story for sports illustrated, a huge cover story on that game. And he's a very well known investigatory journalist, um, did really, you know, something similar to what we did. He wrote a, um, 10,000 word piece really breaking down, all the different variables, all the different players, you know, who's saying what, and then what actually happened. And the piece never got published. And he told me that he, he cried afterwards. I mean, he put in, I can't even
0: imagine, man, 10,000 words,
2: award-winning journalist. He put in, um, I think close to a year on this one article and it got nixed and apparently got nixed by David Stern calling, um, whoever owned sports illustrated at the time and, you know, went up high, right? I mean, they they reached out to the NBA for comment and the NBA during the Stern era, when when things like that were percolating, they did whatever they had to do to stop. Get out of here. Yeah, so that story's nuts, right? And that that writer, he would tell me that story. Unfortunately, though, he works for a media company that is owned by one of the NBA, and I don't want to be too specific here, but he works currently for a media company that is owned by one of the NBA's big partners, right? So just mm-hmm. wink, wink. It's either Disney or Turner. You know. <laughs> um, gotcha. But but that's a guy who like he couldn't talk because if he's going to comment um, on a podcast or you know appear in a doc or do whatever as part of his contract, um, it he has to get permission from uh, that company's PR mm-hmm. team, right? So that's one where I actually I didn't. Even want to put it on that company's radar um, too early because there was, and this is something that I had to do repeatedly here was, in, as far as reaching out to people, I I had to wait towards the end because I didn't want to reach out to Mark Cuban two years ago or not two years ago, but in November of 2019 and say, hey Mark, I'm doing this podcast, here's what I know so far, right? I reached out to Mark Cuban later in the game um, for that reason, so. You know, I I think I reached out to Mark when we'd already, the podcast already been released. So that whole Mark Cuban episode was really happening in real time. Wow. And anyway, so that's just, it's unfortunate, but that's how the world works. And that's why this scandal was so hard to expose, was for reasons just like that.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, you, you met a guy who spent a year on an article and it got nixed and you spent eight years on it, but at least, you know, got the chance to see it come out and see how, you know, people react to it. And to that point, you mentioned earlier the podcast blew up. And, You know, on on the Levitard show, which is ESPN, right? He's with ESPN? Yep. Yeah. So you talked about how, you know, your wife had wanted you to stop talking about this topic. And even you yourself, you know, you were unsure. You were unsure whether there would be the cruisers, the Suburbans hanging out outside your house. Or, you know, you you didn't really know what was going on because you knew what their capabilities were. But obviously, you know, it's a different leader now. It's kind of a different regime. But still a lot of uncertainty. So... I guess it's it's a two part question, but I want to know: A, did you expect this much, or I guess did you expect the podcast to blow up as much as it did? And have you come across anything now, you know, that the podcast has been done for a month? I know you you kind of talked about that a little bit earlier, but I, I just more so want to know about you know the the first part of that question.
2: Yeah i I had been screaming into the abyss for so many years that. I thought this was the most interesting sports story that I'd ever heard, but I had no idea how people would react. So I think whenever you create something and, and put as much into it as, as I did and as our team did um, it's always scary, right? I mean, it's you, you hope that a couple million people are going to listen to this thing, but you have no, you have no clue. And, And my expectation was, I really didn't have an expectation. And I think I've learned, I've, I've been doing this stuff for a little while now and not having expectations, is just the way to go. Um, because if you do, then usually 99% of the time, whatever you produce, or whatever you put out there or whatever you hoped was going to happen, doesn't live up to the hype, doesn't live up to what you had in your head. So i had seen this thing crash and burn so many times that I was just so excited that the story was going to be out there. Um, but I didn't know. I mean, Tenderfoot, who we produced it with, this was their first sports podcast. They were trying to break into, you know, they were trying to bridge sports and true crime. Mm-hmm. They had a 90% female audience. Oh, wow, interesting. Wow, they, they didn't have like Tenderfoot was. This was an experiment for them. Uh, Donald Albright, who's the president of Tenderfoot, who's the man who believed in the story and and gave us everything we need needed to make it, and then also taught me so much over the course of production on, on how to make a podcast. Um, but yeah, Tenderfoot took a, took a swing on it. Um, and I, I really genuinely had no, no expectation whatsoever. I just wanted it to open people's eyes. I wanted the truth to come out. Um, and thankfully both those things happened and the, the response has been incredibly humbling and getting to go on Levitar and Patrick and, uh, Bill Burr and all these, you know, all these people who, like getting on those calls and having those conversations is it's, it's all pretty surreal, surreal, man.
0: There's gotta be yeah. a little part of you that sits there and remembers back in 2012 when you were just writing this story and you're like, man, now Bill Burr's in my DMS, <laughs> uh, Levitar <laughs> in my DMS, Patrick, like the whole gang. So there's gotta be a, do you ever think about that? Like you ever think about how, how it all started?
2: Yeah, I, I do. Because I, I think if, if this would have, when I was like so in twenty twelve I was twenty God hell am I I'm thirty four, so eight years ago. You know, I was in my mid twenties and I don't think um, I think I would have I don't think I would have appreciated it one one millionth as much as I do now. So it's again, it's it is surreal. Um, I have moments constantly where I'm just like, Oh man, this is out this is out there. People Yeah on Twitter pretty much every day I get somebody new being like hey I just listened to all ten episodes of whistleblower that was great or or whatever um, so it's it's really cool it's really humbling and um, I, I don't have any advice for anybody I think for the most part if you spend eight years on something and it gets um, you know it crashes and burns on ten different times in ten different heartbreaking ways you should probably move on at some point uh, you know what I did probably wasn't that smart but it's it's pretty cool that it's out there that you guys, um, you know, your guys on Twitter, I mean, the, the things that you've said have been incredibly flattering and I really appreciate it. So it's it's all really, it's all very surreal, very humbling and just, you know, feel very hashtag blessed. <laughs>
1: something something kind of unique about the podcast itself, especially, you know, from a true crime perspective as well, is that you don't often see the creators of the podcast, the hosts of the podcast, actually building a relationship with the you know, I guess, uh, quote unquote, you know, criminal or the person, the person in question. In this case, we saw you build a relationship with Tim and 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 his friends and, and Tommy, um, and his kind of and his crew, and we saw your relationship kind of go, like you said, you guys would go out, you guys would talk, you guys would talk off the air, you would ha- you had a relationship off the air. And we saw near the end how, you know, Tim got mad at you and you were speaking with Tommy and trying to get him on to comment and, and get him to talk and talk about why he was mad and what he didn't like about what he heard from what you released. Now, can you, you know, describe what your relationship is like with Tim right now and how it's changed um i guess post the the uh, post finishing of and release of of the podcast and uh if the answer is that your relationship is good we would love to host you guys in toronto and go out for those <laughs> those those beers on ice and and, and have yeah, that chat. i'll bring the microwave and yeah. say it's got the ice yeah don't even worry but how how is your relationship now with with
2: with tim so by the way, I was in Toronto. I've only been to Toronto once. Um, or maybe twice. I was there for the, when when did you guys host the All-Star game? Twenty sixteen? Twenty sixteen, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was there. That was cold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: That was one of the coldest weeks ever, I swear. I was
2: like, it was like minus ten, minus eleven, minus twelve, the three days I was there. Um, but that was that was a really fun weekend, and I, I know you guys can can get down in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, but, absolutely. But with Tim, it's funny. I I still I could end up being wrong. I think Tim and I will be friends. I, I think he's smart enough to understand why we told the story we did, which was the truth, right? We're just we're telling the truth, Tim. So if you're lying about things and hiding things and protecting people, then that's going to be exposed when you're trying to find the truth, or not not even exposed, but that's not the right word. Questions are going to be asked about the integrity of what you're saying if if the you know if that's the case. So I think Tim and I will end up being cool. Um, Tommy and I are—I mean, we—I talked to Tommy a week ago. We we stay in touch um, and and, and will forever. I mean, Tommy Martino is one of my my favorite people, and he's just the absolute sweetest human being. He's just the best guy. Yeah. And I I feel some of you feel really bad for it because he had no idea what he was getting himself into. Yeah. Yeah. I was just gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, and had no idea how big this got. You know, he was the last episode. That was what was so shocking. He's like, listen, he, you know, he's listening to the podcast too. And he's like, I, we're, we were pawns. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I like that. It was the part when he was telling you, I'm going to work on getting Tim on the pod. Yeah. He's like, I didn't yeah. know that Tim. That's pretty messed up, Tim. That's pretty <laughs> messed up.
2: I mean, he's saying like, we were pawns. I was like, Tommy, I could have told you that in 2012. I didn't mean that. <laughs> so, so yeah, Donahue, I think will be cool. Um, mm. Eventually. But right now. I haven't, I've exchanged a few texts with him. You know, I've sent extended a couple olive branches. Yeah. Haven't heard back, which is totally fine. I'm giving him time and, and space to digest. If there's, I think the thing that would really bring Tim and I back together as friends, or at least cordial for the rest of our lives, is if there's another, if there's a derivative project, if there's a documentary, if there's something where, you know, he could get, on a bigger stage and, and tell a story. Uh, I think that would be probably the thing that, that would endear Tim or endear Tim to me a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, it's certainly interesting. And, and the personal relationship I think is what kind of made the story uh, as special as it became.
0: Okay. Now, before we let you go, I want to give you the rest of your evening back before we let you go. I just want to know, and Zaid wants to know, are there any other stories that are on the horizon? You talked about producing a lot of shows. You worked with Gil. Um you worked, you know, that's what you do. You produce basketball shows. Um we loved your podcast, obviously uh, all of our friends, even ones that don't like basketball love the podcast and we all want to know. Is there anything else coming out soon? Cuz we're more. We're hungry.
2: <laughs> um I think the the answer is yes. I just got to figure out in what medium we should produce it in. Um um, I'm talking to some interesting people about that because the truth is the Donahue scandal was just like Donahue was just one small part of a big conspiracy. But the Donahue scandal is just one small part of a big conspiracy. I mean, the NBA, for the most part, and this is something as NBA fans, we really we need to remember that a, a majority of NBA champions were valid. A, a majority of NBA champions earned the trophy and there shouldn't be an asterisk however there was a lot of bad things going on in the nba not just as far as game manipulation goes but culturally um and with specific stories and specific scandals throughout the course of the nba i mean we're talking corrupted labor negotiations we're talking about you know a corporation that in my opinion had a lot of unethical things going on. Yeah. So the bigger story for me is the bigger story about the league and about the man who ran the league, David Stern. Cool. So that's that's what I'm focused on next. I think the ne- the follow up to the story and and I, again I don't know how soon it will come out. I hope it's not another eight years. But that's what <laughs> I'm investing. You know, and again I'm not I've been investigating this for so long. I know I know the story. I know that there's more here. I know, you know what what's next. Um I'm just looking for the right the right medium and the right partners to tell it.
0: Yeah, no, fair enough. Well with that being said, I mean we were super appreciative of your time beforehand and this was such an amazing interview. Um I, I personally had a great time and you know with regards to those partners you know where to find people who want to know oh, how to I talk about basketball. It, yeah. so hey, hey. you know where to find us. But uh no with that being said Tim I just want to say thank you. I think uh Zayd is also is grateful Absolutely. and our producer Kiro uh, we're all just super happy to have you on, man. Thanks so much for your time.
2: Hey, thank you guys for having me. Um, yeah, and any, I'll, I'll talk. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll talk to Gilbert and see if I can get him on. Um, <laughs> no, no guarantees. No guarantees,
0: but, um, but that's that's good enough for me. Shoot man. it. Hey. Yeah, we'll
2: get. I'll, I'll work over the. I can. I'll promise you that I'll try with some of those guys. Maybe maybe Stoudemire. You know, we'll get we'll get somebody uh, to come on and give you guys that that first. I don't know. If, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys have had any other basketball former former players but we'll work on getting you guys a raptor or something man that's lovely bro we would
1: fly
0: down to your undisclosed location in la with (laughs) anything you wanted in in that case so we appreciate that man thank you
2: no it's my pleasure all right guys well enjoy your night appreciate it and we'll talk soon